Yep, absolutely. Bad data leads to bad decisions and that leads to lower profits. Good data leads to good decisions and bigger profits. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Russ. Russ, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Michelle. I appreciate it. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Sure. So um, I'm the CEO of Agilence. Agilence is a, it's a contraction of two words, Agile Intelligence. Bring those two together to Agilence. And we do uh, data analytics uh, primarily today for uh, retailers, restaurants, uh, and uh, convenience stores. Uh, so, uh, in the in the retail area, it includes grocers and uh, big box retailers as well as specialty retailers. And essentially, what we do is help uh, our customers uh, get access, or you know, we kind of democratize the data that they've got in their business. Uh, and make it accessible to them in a way that it lets them make better decisions. Very cool. Okay, we will totally get into this. But before we do, I want to know, how did you get into retail data as your thing? Well, uh, it's been a long and circuitous route. Um, I started out uh, many, many years ago uh, as a salesperson. I, I, I grew up as the son, grandson, and great-grandson of Boston uh, firemen. So I come from a long line of firemen, and uh, I decided that that was too dangerous for me. I did not want to be a fireman. So, uh, you know, uh, also one of the aspects of uh, being the child of a fireman is you don't have a lot of money. So uh, I learned early on that by being a salesperson, you could essentially run your own business without having to put up any of the capital essentially you, you know you, you you get a territory and a, a product to, to sell and uh, everything else is up to you and so uh, I did very well as a salesperson I ended up uh, getting uh, a job with uh, New England Telephone at the time this is back with the breakup of the bell system uh, which was a calamitous event for a lot of people but for me it was a great opportunity I got to get in on the ground floor of uh, newly deregulated business, and uh, I really haven't looked back uh, since then. I did that for 15 years and rose up to a, a fairly high level, a managing director level in the company, running one of the international regions. Uh, and then I got recruited out uh, to be a sales and marketing VP for a small, very, very small startup company in uh, Connecticut, a spin out of, out of General Datacom. Um, within a year, I became the CEO of that company, mainly because I uh, was good at selling and I was able to uh, change the strategy of the company. Uh, and then I haven't looked back. Uh, it took, took a while to build that one up and we sold it. And I got another CEO gig for a high performance computing company, built that up and sold it and then got recruited into what was originally uh, a different business. Uh, when when Agilence was founded, it was it was originally uh, a very video centric business. We we used uh, video technologies to um, validate transactions in grocery stores. Uh, after doing that for a couple of years, I changed the strategy there, and we became this data analytics company. and And now we're hitting on all cylinders and uh, uh, growing uh, at about thirty percent a year. And uh, you know, very excited about uh, the organization that we've been building. 
Oops, very cool. I'm assuming that you went from the video transaction into the data analytics because it gave more pertinent information to the business owner as to what was moving and things like that, or am I totally off base? No, I think you've, you've got it uh, pretty well. I mean, we, we started it with a very narrow use case, which was to uh, give uh, our customers the ability to validate transactions. And so they would use some kind of a, a, a data system to identify transactions that looked funny to them. Either they, you know, that looked like wasn't charged for the right amount or uh, some other thing had happened. And so uh, they would then take that data analytic output and switch over to our system. And uh, what we did was we had devices out at these grocery stores that connected the video system to the point of sale, the, the, the cash registers. Uh, and so we would be able to go directly to that moment that the item was scanned or the keys were depressed or whatever it might be. Um, and after and we did well at that and we did a really good job. We had some patents and things. But uh, what I realized was that uh, we were dependent on the quality of the data that we were getting from these other systems. And uh, we decided that we had a pretty good chance of doing a better job of that than uh, than the people that were feeding it to us. And those were typically, um, you know, a printout of some sort out of the POS system that was put into Excel and maybe manipulated a little bit. Uh, we thought we could do a better job and uh, and we have and we've done it. And so uh, uh, we morphed from being this kind of uh, video verification business uh, to being a, a originally we were loss prevention data analytics, but very quickly it became clear that loss prevention was only a very small part of uh, the operational requirements of these businesses. And, and we um, frankly engaged with our customers in kind of a community approach where they taught us how to use our product to do different things. And over time, uh, we developed a, 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 a large set of use cases in three primary areas. First of all, in the kind of revenue assurance area. So looking at how revenues were generated and whether promotions are working effectively, whether programs are working effectively. Second area was cost and expense control, which is kind of includes the, the loss prevention uh, capabilities that were part of our roots. And then the third area turned out to be compliance. Uh, you know, are the rules being followed? Are we complying with external requirements like age verification or uh, money laundering or those kinds of things? But more importantly, uh, compliance in the sense of alignment from the boardroom down to the stockroom, as I as I always like to say, which is you know making sure people understood what the objectives of the company were, and and uh, uh, you know we we're able to kind of measure whether people were in fact complying with what the corporate objectives and the corporate uh, philosophies were. So we've really broadened our business dramatically beyond uh, loss prevention to include many areas of operational effectiveness. And that's the way I think of ourselves today. I think of our think of us as uh, data analytics to help better help make better decisions and to improve the operational effectiveness of our customers. Nice. Well, I love operational effectiveness. And I think it's also very misunderstood, especially when it comes to data, because 
you know, I love saying dirty data is, is a real thing. And people just don't understand that when you're getting false information, whether it was falsified or whether it was just, you know, a slip of the finger and you just hit the wrong key and it didn't go in right or- Or just bad interpretation, just bad right. interpretation of what was there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Bad data leads to bad decisions and that leads to lower profits. Good data leads to good decisions and bigger profits. Nice. And happier customers. Right. So I know that I think, well, I, I say I know that Walmart was one of the first to have kind of inventory data on mass. And is yours taking into account kind of the the sales and the transactions of their inventory or does it go beyond that or does it do something completely different? It, it, it does. Um, inventory itself is is an area that we're uh, gathering more and more capabilities Uh uh, so typically what we do uh, is we bring in, uh, almost always, we start with the same six data sets. The, the first one is, the first two are the most dynamic and, and kind of the most inscrutable most of the time. And, and that is the, uh, the transaction log. So this is a record of what every, uh, every register in the company did um, you know, by location, by by physical register, uh, the ecom transaction log. So this is the stuff that's go going on and on their on their uh, uh, digital sites. Uh, the human resources file, the customer loyalty file. So those customers that have that have declared their fealty to to a company and you know are, are kind of registered loyal customers. Um, and then the uh, the location information. So specifically the the the, the geolocators. You know where is this store? And uh, oftentimes our, our customers have other uh, descriptors or characteristics uh, in those uh, in those store files. So they may be talking about the product mix that's available at that store. Might be something around the location. Is it in a mall? Is it in a standalone? Is it a strip? Is it a strip mall? In some cases, we've got companies like Sephora, for example, that have stores within a store. They're they're a subset of of other stores. So a very rich data file that goes beyond you know the physical location. Uh, and then finally, the item master. So this is the the list of everything they sell. So in a grocery store, it's the fifty thousand SKUs that they've got. In a in a restaurant chain, uh, it's the you know the twenty or thirty menu items that they have. So we're, you know really wide difference in, in terms of the inputs. But those six data sources make up the the bulk of of what we do, uh, or or at least the initial tranche of what we do. We create a uh, a database uh, with these things. We harmonize the data so that it can be compared uh, against each other. Uh, we add mathematical and statistical operators on the data, thereby expanding the uh, the breadth and depth of the database. And then we provide a tool that lets our customers ask questions of the database. And we're not trying to be experts in every in every business. What we're trying to do is make it easy for the people who are experts to ask questions uh, in their area of expertise and to do it seamlessly without having to be a data scientist. And, and, and so that's really one of the biggest values that we deliver. And then the results of these inquiries can be, uh, can be displayed in lots of different ways. It can be uh, as a report, reports can be aggregated into dashboards. When you start measuring things over time, you can start drawing trend lines. And we use 
some machine learning techniques to get predictability out of it and to be able to kind of predict the future. Now, I'm not telling you I can predict the future because if I if I could Aww. do that, I would not be here on this podcast. I'd be, <laughs> right. I'd be on my private island in the Caribbean. I won't uh, even take that personally because I totally know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> but the the uh, one of the other main things or one of the great functionalities that we have is we can we can set up monitors that look for a combination of events to happen and when those events happen um, we can send a an automated alert usually it goes to a store manager or maybe a district manager but um, and that automated alert will, will include a prescription exactly what that manager is supposed to do with that with that data and um, and and those things become almost a workflow management. So we, we, we keep expanding and expanding. And then back to your original question, sorry for getting off track here a little bit, but inventory is very important, right? And I, I think it's a it's a frontier that really hasn't been conquered yet. Um, and being able to on a on a near time or real time or at least near time basis, being able to ensure that you have the right inventory at the right place at the right time is uh is uh, an elusive objective for most uh for most retailers and uh we're starting to do more and more in that area and in fact we're looking uh one of the things that we're doing more recently now is we're starting to look at acquiring kind of adjacent technologies that will help us uh improve the value of uh, of the software that we're providing very cool i love it i know that um, for some of my clients the issue in a weird sort of way is inventory that is in somebody's basket in store so but it hasn't been taken out of inventory for the online people yet because the in-store person hasn't hit the cash register yet cash register, so sure. there's a ton of different kind of conundrums that people have what is one of the most interesting ones that you found like when your clients were teaching you how to use the software what is in your opinion one of the more interesting kind of dilemmas or problems that they had that you were trying to solve well, it, it varies a little bit by uh, by business. I mean, one of one of the things that's it's kind of a hot topic right now in the grocery business, and we and we started in the grocery business. You know, there's this whole movement around uh, what they call SEO or self checkout, and uh, you know, the original premise of self checkout was that um, it was going to be better for customers and it was going to be better for uh, employees, and certainly better for the business because the idea was you could have essentially transferring responsibility for for checking out from a cashier to the per to the to the customer mm -hmm. and um one, one of the things that we've learned is that uh, most of the most of the uh the benefits that were um espoused about about self-checkout have turned out not to be correct and we've done that by looking at the data um the the reality is is that uh um the, they're really not making the the cost savings in terms of people because uh, people don't don't they like it and they don't like it the 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 SEO right they hate being treated I I know I personally hate being treated like an idiot you know place the object in the in the bagging area when the volume is really loud <laughs> please remove all your items <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and, yeah. and you and you're you know it's it just it, it's really kind of annoying so there's this huge negative which is uh, you know in terms of the way customers interact with it uh, most customers while they appreciate some of the convenience 
almost always you have some kind of problem, right? You, 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 and and you're you're constantly being told, do this, push this number in, do that. that and, and it really becomes a, a problem. So we're now, now starting to see people taking those SEO systems out. And the ones that are leaving them, and, you know, Walmart is one and Costco is another one, um, they're staffing them up. They're putting more people in there. And they're, in fact, you know, if you, if you show up at one of those things and you want to... Um, uh, have somebody help you do it, they'll put a person on it and, ha and have you do it. And so I, I think it's been a grand experiment. And, and it's one that, you know, had great the theory around it. But in practical reality, um, it, it, a couple of other things, it hasn't increased sales, sales have not gone up as a result of it. And it has increased shrink. In other words, so many people have problems with it, even inadvertently. There, there are certainly people that have tried that try to game the system, and try to you know take advantage of the store and 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 remove uh, merchandise. But the system is is assumes everybody is a thief, right? And they have all these prompts and things that you have to do. And what ends up happening is people make mistakes and they end up walking out with more material, not because they're they're thieves, but because they just simply couldn't use the technology. And the, and the technology uh, is so difficult to, to, to get comfortable with. So uh, it's a big failed experiment. And, and there's you know, there's there's a, a constant evolution in these things. I mean, the, the pandemic has been a, uh, has been a huge change in operations. If you remember back in the, in the 2020 timeframe when, you know, you couldn't go into a store and everybody was freaking out and, you know, we now have curbside pickup and, you know, the, 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 the blurring of the lines between the, the e-com systems and the, and the in-store systems and things like uh, buy online, pick up in store, buy online, return in store, um, these have changed a lot about the way these companies operate and the kinds of expertise they have to have. And, uh, you know, we've been right there alongside of our customers analyzing this stuff. In, in, and I, I like to use the word near time because it's not always real time, but it certainly is very sh shortly after things happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it must take a lot of back end technology too to be able to, or human resource, if you want to put it that way, because I think a lot of, there's a lot of assumptions made <laughs> in the back end. Well, on the front end of the back end. So when I go into a store and I go, oh, it's 50% off. And I see the little tag on the thing. I just go, oh, okay. So they should know that because it's gone through their monthly program and everybody knows. And then you get to the tail and it's not marked. And then how do you differentiate that? Who do you bring in? All of that has to be one time ineffective. <laughs> like that's just seems like an absolute waste of time over $2 or whatever it might've been. And from a technology perspective, what other kind of kind of conundrums like that, that seem like they should have been easy at the front, but then the back end, you're like, wow, we did not see that coming. Well, you would think, you know, the example that you're giving on, on pricing is one that you would think people would have down, right? I mean, I, I want, I want to make sure the shelves are marked correctly and the items are marked correctly, but you know, there's, you know, whenever you have humans involved, there's lots of opportunity for human errors. And, uh, and so it becomes uh, difficult in, in, in many of these situations. Uh, there are discrepancies between what the advertising says, either if it's a flyer or what the shelf says or what the, what the product says and what actually happens at the, at the checkout. The, the key to that now is to get on that very quickly and to not have that perpetuate uh, because, um, nobody's ends up happy, right? They, you, you end up 
either not giving people the discounts that they're expecting and causing them to call a manager over and do whatever they need to do, or, uh, or you're implying a discount inappropriately and you're losing margin and you're losing, losing opportunities. So the, the, this idea of having uh, a quick evaluation is a, is a, one of the keys to what we do. So I, I think of any kind of promotion, you know, if you're, if you're running a, a store and you've got uh, some kind of a, uh, let's call it a, 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 a buy one, get BOGO, buy one, get one free, right? If, if the, if the, the store and those cashiers aren't well trained and know what they're doing, what they'll do is they'll they'll scam the first one and then they'll just say, oh, yeah, you get one free. So I'm going to just take the second one and I'm going to drop it in your bag. <laughs> so what is, what's happened there? Well, uh, the customer's happy. They've gotten their BOGO, but your inventory is all screwed up because you, you've got you've, you've never exited that inventory out of the out of the systems and you think you have more inventory than you have and you've given away the product so you've given away the product you've given away the margin and your inventory screwed up so there there's there's all kinds of um ways that uh that that things can get out of whack uh many of them are around inventory and what we like to do or like to say is that you know we 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 give you the information right now rather than three weeks later when somebody in the finance department figures out that there's some kind of major problem that's happened. Right. So it's kind of, it's time to information, time, time to, to knowledge that allows you to amend your process and maybe retrain people and, and, uh, and, and minimize problems. I love it. Because as we all know, especially with holiday seasons, three weeks later is way too late. <laughs> so Absolutely. I mean, you know, most, uh, I mean, there's different cycles for different retailers, obviously, but uh, for the vast majority of retailers, the holiday season is make or break. I mean, it's it's a two month period. And, you know, you, if, you don't, if you're not, not executing, if you don't have your systems lined up and ready to go in that period of time, you're going to, you're going to have trouble. Matter of fact, most of our customers uh, most of our retail customers uh, uh, don't do any, don't make any changes. They, you know, they basically go into a lockdown, uh, usually at the beginning of November, sometimes earlier, uh, and don't and don't do anything for the two to three months leading up to the holidays. Now, if you're in the restaurant business, it's different. You've got you know different drivers and a different cycle. Uh, if you're in the grocery business, uh, Thanksgiving is your uh, is your Christmas, right? That that's when 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 you want to have. Uh, have your your stuff all lined up. Although although you know grocers obviously do good business at uh, Christmas time as well and Easter and they have a they have a a, a, a multi a multi point uh, uh, during the calendar year where where th their business is uh, benefiting. I love it. So is there a particular size of business that is perfect for you, or how does that work? Well, generally, we're I like to say that if you're a business owner and you own one store, you can probably keep your, a pretty good handle on what's happening in that store. Now, maybe you can't be there every day. You can't be there all at all hours every day, but you know, you're going to be there. So I like to say, if you go to, if you have to be in two places at once, then you need software like ours, because you, you want to make sure that, that you, you know, that you're understanding what's happening in the place that you're not. Um, now, in, in, a, in a practical sense, um, depending upon the, the size of the, the, excuse me, the segment that we're talking about, then the sizes can vary. Uh, our average customer today has about 400 locations. However, some of that is skewed. We have some very large companies that have 15,000 locations. So, you know, one of the 
uh, biggest uh, pharmacy chains in the United States, one of the biggest uh, dollar store chains in the United States are customers of ours. Uh, and those companies have, you know, 15,000 stores. On the, on the low end, uh, smaller size, uh, we typically uh, can really provide value w once you, you've got, uh, let's say, eight or nine stores. And, and so that's kind of the entry level for us. Uh, and uh, we support companies of all different sizes and all different geographies. We're mostly in the U.S. today. We do a little bit in Canada, uh, but um, it's a growth factor for us is to go uh, to go go globally. Now, I've, I've had some experience with that with AT&T. One of my last roles at AT&T was helping AT&T expand uh, across the globe. And at the time, this is back in the, uh, the early 90s, there was a, a desire to grow, at get to at least 50% of the business being outside the U.S. Of course, AT&T was American Telephone and Telegraph. And they were they were they were full of themselves, and so uh, they had a, it was a little bit of a struggle uh, to get AT and T to understand that they couldn't just impose their rules on uh, on other countries and other other parts of the world. But uh, but for us today, um, I I learned from that experience, and uh, I know that uh, embarking on a on a, a global expansion requires a significant amount of investment. And so we're taking that very slow, although uh, we're targeting right now the, the Western Europe and, uh, and uh, United Kingdom uh, markets and uh, uh, are looking at uh, essentially buying some entry there by getting a, a company uh, on the ground that will uh, essentially make it easier for me to get things going, right? To have uh, people who understand the market and go forward. Th this would be a small uh, acquisition that uh, that we're contemplating right now. Love it. When it comes to your clientele, do you have a Cinderella story of one of your clients by chance? A Cinderella story, meaning they, uh, they chaos and mayhem to order and fluidity, <laughs> or <laughs> I think I think almost every one of our customers is a little bit of a, a Cinderella in that sense. Uh, um, you know, the thing that's most uh, gratifying to me is when you, you go into a company that has um, is doing everything on paper, you know, doing everything on on uh, maybe, maybe they're using Excel, but uh, everything is manual. Everything is is manipulated. And, you know, we, we've we've got a, a pretty good um, uh, foothold in the shoe market, believe it or not, we have almost every shoe retailer in the United States we have. And. And, and, you know, shoe retailers are about fitting shoes, right? And they don't always pay a lot of attention to uh, operational effectiveness and the way the way things go. So we had one particular shoe company that, uh, you know, was trying to do everything on paper. I mean, literally everything and, and you know, pushing paper around to store managers. And the, the end result was that they never looked at it. They, 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 they didn't have time for it because they were too busy running their stores. And so uh, we were able to start with one use case with them and, you know, replace a piece of paper with uh, with a uh, an automated uh, uh, communication, an automated alert, and then another and another and another. And uh, over time, they they just became a, a model of efficiency. Uh, there's another company that uh, that we're very tight partners with. You're probably familiar with them. They they open up their orange signs and they open up uh, 1,500 stores. Their season just ended with Halloween. They sell costumes and. Uh, it's a company called Spirit Halloween, 
Uh, and this is a company that opens 1,500 stores in a four month, it opens and closes 1,500 stores in a four month period. And they go in and they, they take advantage of, uh, uh, of empty storefronts uh, and they, uh, they don't really have time to train their people. And so, um, you know, before we arrived, they were uh, constantly, constantly having uh, issues with uh, store managers not knowing what to do in certain situations. And uh, now we have helped them uh, build uh, an alerting capability that effectively displaces any training requirement. They, they have uh, a dozen or more uh, specific uh, objectives that they expect of their store manager. And uh, our software is set up to look for uh, when uh, certain thresholds are triggered. And when they are, that store manager gets a, a note saying, okay, this thing happened. You now need to take this step and do this and that and the other. And oh, by the way, uh, fill out what the root cause was and uh, and you've got to close out this alert. And so it becomes uh, it becomes a way to manage the managers, if you will. And, they, and, and they've benefited tremendously. I mean, their, their volume has more than doubled in... Uh, in about 10 years. And uh, I mean, from a fair, fairly high number. Uh, and uh, every year they expand that 1500 number by 50 or 60 stores. They're starting to move into Easter as another market that they're doing the same thing with pop-up stores like that. So pretty exciting. We see all kinds of, of, of different models happening. Uh, we've got a, a new customer that's in the uh, wholesale distribution business. They're one of the uh, the largest uh, distributors of insulation uh, in the country, and they have uh, they have hundreds of uh, of contractors that are their customers, and um, and this is a whole new area for us where we're helping them manage manage their distribution centers and ensuring that they're that they're treating their customers uh, uh, correctly. That you know they're applying the right discounts, they're they're delivering the right product, and they're. Uh, they're doing it as effectively as possible. So that's another whole learning area for us. We're starting to do some business with hotels. Uh, now, of course, the restaurant business in hotels is a big part of what we're doing. But, you know, we're also looking at uh, uh, money laundering where this particular, a particular hotel chain that we're working with is uh, uh, trying to fight uh, drug abuse in their facilities and uh, um, uh what is it? Tra human trafficking. Believe, believe it or not, these are these are issues that these companies are are facing, uh, where rooms are being used for, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, nefarious uh, activities, uh, and we're giving them the ability to figure out what's actually going on in these places in a in a, a near time uh, time frame. Oh, very, very interesting stuff. I never get bored. I can tell you that I never get bored <laughs> with what we're doing because every day we're doing something new and working with a different kind of customer. I don't understand why we need another pizza chain or another burger chain, but they keep proliferating <laughs> every every time I turn around. Everybody's got a little bit of niche, a little bit of twist on how they do things. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of uh, interesting to watch. That was fascinating. I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey with you? How do customers start the journey with us? Yep. How do they people get a hold of you that are interested in what you do, how they do it, for, how you could so do it for them? The big one of the greatest things about my business is that uh, you know we we do outbound stuff uh, a lot, but um, we really work on the community. We work we we really work on trying to get our customers to interact with each other. We have a couple of ways of doing that. Um, we've got a thing called the virtual water cooler. 
where, you know, if you're a shoe company, you can go and ask other shoe companies how they deal with certain problems and those kinds of things. And what, what we've what we've found is that people are willing to help each other, right? Everybody yeah. wants to help each other, even though they're competitors, they're happy to help each other. And, and that has kind of bled over for us. So they're not only teaching us, they're teaching us how to do things with our software that we never, we never figured out. Uh, and we're able then to disseminate that with everybody else. So from an expansion sales standpoint, we rely very much on the community, but also on a new prospect standpoint. Um, when people ask me, you know, do we have references? I give them my entire customer list because I don't have any unhappy customers. I really do. I really do not have a single unhappy customer and, and anyone can be a reference. And what, and what happens is I get, customers referencing or recommending us to others um, all the time. I mean, our net promoter score is off the charts. If you're familiar with that, with that concept, that's, you know, it's just, you know, would you recommend this to a, to, to a close associate or a friend and a family? And we score very, very high, higher than many, many of the largest companies uh, uh, in the country. So a lot of my deals come from personal references from people that do business with us that are involved in, uh, you know, uh, uh, industry associations or, or the, the, those kinds of things. And then the other thing that happens is, you know, people move around after time, over time, people move around, they get promoted, they take a new job with another company. We just sold a deal today from a company that was uh, taken over by uh, one of our previous customers had, had, uh, uh, an individual had moved over to become the the head of uh, operations at this company, and he brought us in immediately, and we just sold the deal today. So I'm pretty happy about that. Now we do traditional stuff too. We do a lot of trade shows. I have a love hate feeling about trade shows, to be honest. And uh, they're very expensive <laughs> to do, uh, and a lot of times it's vendors talking to vendors. But I do say, and I do agree that it's a it's a highly concentrated environment where you can have a lot of conversations with both existing customers and prospective customers in a single, you know, couple of day span. So on balance, uh, I continue to support them and we do quite a bit of trade shows. Uh, we've been we've been experimenting with some other ways of doing things. Uh, So-called account-based marketing is a, is a new area where, you know, this is in a digital environment now where people are searching for items on the web and, you know, we'll we, 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 we'll look at, um, you know, are certain companies that are not our customers, prospects, are they searching for keywords that are uh, important to us? You know, are they ser searching for operational effectiveness? Are they searching for loss prevention? And, and uh, by using some of these evolving technologies in the digital space, we're able to identify uh, not only the companies, the company part is actually pretty easy to identify, but you know, what's hard is getting down to who is it that's specifically looking for these things, right? You don't always have that kind of information. So we're starting to experiment with some of those things. And we have traditional, you know, business development reps that make, you know, dial for dollars and use LinkedIn to find, find ways. So um, we're, we're really, uh, we're really uh, trying to do whatever we can do. And we're trying to learn from whoever we can learn from. Uh, one thing I'll say is I, I, I know that I'm not the smartest guy around and that, uh, the, you know, in aggregate, the, the world is much smarter than me. And so uh, let's be humble and let's learn and let's figure out how to how, how to uh, how to do what other people are having success with. And that's worked for us. I love it. We will, of course, have Russ's links in the show notes to the website, to um, LinkedIn, to some other areas that are important to you. So go ahead and open those up in a new browser because we're not done yet. 
So Russ, I get to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you're especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Well, you know, I, I always uh, kind of mentioned it earlier. I mean, I, I always, I, I didn't want to be a fireman. So I knew, <laughs> and I knew I wanted to run a business. I I, I was in, the, the, I have a little story that I can tell about uh, the, the junior achievement organization. And there was a particular moment when I realized what I really wanted to do. So we were, I think I was in the seventh grade at the time. And, you know, junior, junior achievement is a great organization. And, you, you, you get a group of people uh, that want to participate in it. It's it's after school kind of activity. Uh, and you get four or five people and you, you form a company, right? And usually the, you know, the products are are things that 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 you can make or, uh, you know, you know, maybe you've got somebody who's got a particular talent that you can leverage on. And all, all I remember, I remember being in this meeting and, you uh, putting myself up as the CEO, that I wanted to be the CEO of the company. Um, the, the other five people didn't think that that was a very good idea. So they 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 wouldn't let me be the CEO. I was very unhappy about that. In fact, I, I didn't last very long in the in the organization. It wasn't long before I decided that I was going to quit. And, and that's when I realized that that I, I like being the boss and I like I like being the guy that stimulates ideas and uh uh, and 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 so that led to once I graduated from school, uh, I was a chemistry major of all things in college. I mean, I'm not really sure why I was a chemistry major. I like science a lot, um, but then I, you know, my senior year in college, I said, uh, I, you know, I said to myself, I said, well, what, what are you going to do here? And the reality was, is I didn't know. And uh, and uh, I had been working, you know, in a variety of capacities and jobs. I always always had done jobs, and I. I decided that sales was what it was going to be for me, and I I, I spent some time that senior year taking business classes and uh, and uh, you know running a sales uh, bag is like having a business without having to put up the capital, as I always say. And I found out that I was good at it. I think I found out that I could, uh, as my mother used to say, I could talk a dog off a meat wagon, and uh, and so uh, uh, I had very early early success as a salesperson. I was able to leverage that into uh, promotions into being a sales manager. I did some headquarters work in product management, uh, which is, you know, sales kind of writ large. Uh, but I like the field. I like always like the field. I like to get my hands dirty. I like to be out talking to customers and prospective customers. And I liked working with teams that, uh, you know, that we could learn together uh, about how to get things done. And so, uh, you know, I went from being a sales manager of a small group when I left, uh, when I left what became Lucent, it was AT&T when I started, but it eventually became Lucent. I had an organization uh, of 600 people and I was responsible for uh, the middle, uh, the Latin America, basically Latin America and Canada for, for some inexplicable reason. Uh, but, They're close. but uh, <laughs> you know, I just loved, I loved doing that. And then I got recruited out uh, to be the sales guy in a very small data communicate data communications equipment company up in Connecticut, um, and I love that. I was able to take that company from six hundred thousand to about twenty million in sales over a few years, and uh, in the meantime, I became the CEO because I changed the strategy. Uh, and it, you know, it, but it was that junior achievement moment was the one where I I knew that I that that I wanted to be a leader and I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to run my own business and 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 make things happen. Nice, I love it. Well, and I can honestly say that I have not 
I've had hundreds of people. I have asked that too. And nobody has told me about a hostile takeover in grade seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew at that point I was going to be the boss. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Russ, you have been absolutely fantastic. Any last words for our peeps? Listen, I think uh, the you know business is great. It's it's it, 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 everybody is in business whether they think they are or not, right? And I I like to say that everybody's in sales whether they think they are or not. No matter what you try to do, if you try to convince your child to do something, you try to convince that pretty woman to go out on a date with you. No matter what it is, you're selling something. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sooner you realize that, the better you're going to be and the happier you're going to be, in my opinion. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I enjoyed it. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelak. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.